0: to another episode of Total Reboot, the only podcast on the freaking internet that dares to discuss cinema, movies, DVDs that carry them, and everything in betwixt. Today on the podcast, we are diving once again into the new millennium, the year 2000, when movies were mind-blowing. Fox Movies were twisted, they were turned, they were strange, they were complex, and none more complex than from the fucked up mind of Christopher Nolan (laughs) and his movie, Memento! My name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and co-hosting with me as always is Cameron James.
1: It's a pleasure to be here talking about Mementos the Freshmaker, one of my (laughs) favourite flicks, and uh, a film I hadn't watched in many years, and we have a special guest... On this episode today, who has been selected because he has written stand up comedy about this film? Wow. Also, just because we like him and we think he's a good dude. From Don't You Know Who I Am? It is Josh Earl. Hello,
2: boys. It's nice to be with the Joey and Chandler of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Ross moving in. Is it going to gel? Who knows? Well, no, in an hour. Is it going
0: to gel? Ross's most prized possession is his hair gel, sir. I presume it will.
2: Love. I can't wait to talk about the I, I love this film. Oh wait. Oh no, 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 no,
1: no, 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 not
0: minions. We
1: didn't watch Imagination's Minions. We watched. The, from the imagination of Christopher Nolan, Memento.
0: Oh. Yes, Mementoid. One of the strangest films ever made. Oh, he
2: must have been on some wild drugs when he wrote this one, guys. <laughs> I'd love to know what he was smoking. Yeah. I presume it was marijuana or something. It's like the usual suspects on acid. <laughs> oh, that's wow. that's one
1: of my favorite ways to describe something. <laughs> on acid, cuz it's like, holy shit, this must be fucked.
0: Yeah. Up. God, Josh, I got to ask you. This you said that you told us that this was one of your first bits when you were writing stand up was about Memento. Okay. Did you introduce it by saying, <laughs> "Have you guys seen this movie Memento? It's kind of like The Usual Suspects, <laughs> but uh if you or the movie were on acid." <laughs>
2: i wish i did but i did not i said hey who here likes films <laughs> that's wow. good too
0: that's a good intro what was the bit i had I- god if i was in the crowd josh i would <laughs> be screaming putting my arms
2: up i said they're like books of the future that's what, that was the bit i said and then i did a song about not watching memento with you with you at the time girlfriend and then Two years Mm. into doing it, I changed to partner because I didn't want to isolate half the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. changing times and
2: such. And so it was all about, they ask questions. They don't understand what's going on. They're asking, (laughs) isn't that the guy from from, uh, Neighbours? They're asking, like, (laughs) weren't they both in the Matrix? What's going on? Why is he getting tattoos? It was all that for three and a half minutes. How many uh, audience members were familiar with the film?
1: And also, what year was this? Were you doing this bit? Was it like years after <laughs> it was two- the movie had
2: come out? <laughs> it was two thousand and four. Okay. Oh my okay. god! A whole Olympiad had passed.
0: <laughs> <you>. <laughs> here's the- people had gotten over Sydney. And now they're talking about Greece and Athens all the time. He- here's now. the thing,
2: though. Like, I think it, this movie lived on in DVD form. Hundred yes, percent. Probably even course. more famous in yes, DVD yes. form than in the cinema form in this country. Of
0: course, it's the Definitely. intended form of this movie is DVD. But, that is what we dealing with. But then,
2: many years later, I changed the so- I changed the film to be about Inception. See, so I that's kept the brilliance of in the Nolan of it. canon. Yeah, and you yeah that's
1: you could still say a lot of the same stuff. Yep. wasn't that guy in not the Matrix? Wasn't he Was, in
2: Titanic? No, I, I said wasn't he in Third Rock from the Sun?
1: Uh, oh yeah, that works. Yeah.
0: That's good. That's yeah, of good. course, you're referring to French
1: Stewart. <laughs> French <laughs> Stewart is in Inception.
0: <laughs> French Stewart, <laughs> he should be. We love French Stewart. <laughs> So you're telling me when we get into the dreams, everything goes a bit strange? Open your eyes, French. <laughs> uh,
2: you're missing it. You're on TV. That's, that's why he's always in the dream sequence. His eyes are closed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I can presume, uh, based on the fact that you wrote
2: a comedy song about this, you were were you, were you a big fan of this movie, Josh? I was a big fan. I remember watching it when I was in Launceston mm. doing a theatre degree. I was in my final year oh. of my theatre degree. Perfect, perfect, uh, like... Headspace for this I was Absolutely. thinking that Art Shouldn't just be entertained, te- Entertaining I thought it should really Fuck with people's minds Let's oh Invite Lord. them to the theatre And then make them feel Like they're trapped <laughs> <laughs> Wow Theatre of cruelty You yes. must have been a big fan Oh yes <laughs> I love the Theatre of the Oppressed. Augustin Barth. Oh.
0: Josh, I'm so glad we've got you here because this is something that I really want to fulfill with some of the guests in this mini series. People like you who are like a big brother to us that would show us down into the video store, pick out a strange movie and go, hey, check this one out. It's going to be kind of weird. Yeah. You were coming of age in this era of like the Millennium Mind Fox. Were you like drawn to these kind of movies that were like messing with your mind? I
2: wasn't. There was a guy in my course who was who was really into these kinds of films. He was the one who had been talking about Fight Club for months before it was even released. Big, (laughs) big, like into this kind of stuff. He was also very much into wrestling as well. And listeners of my podcast will know that. When I was in second year uni, we did a a play. It was meant to be, all the second years had to do a a Shakespearean production. And my year was the first year where they had a lot of people in it for some reason, and no one dropped out. And so they didn't have, they couldn't find a play that we all had speaking parts. So they made, just put a whole bunch of different clips together or different scenes together from Shakespeare. But they, the whole like through line was it was, an award show because it was the year 2000 that Shakespeare mm. was being presented as man of the millennium. Oh wow. <laughs> so they needed two people like, like an award show to host this and Shakespeare in yeah. love had just been come come out and Gwyneth Paltrow was in that. And so there was a girl in my course, Belinda who had long blonde hair and the director said, you can play Gwyneth Paltrow. And then they said, we need someone else. And this guy, Jason did a very good impression of Dwayne, the rock Johnson, and so, he he was, the Rock presenting. Wait a second, <laughs> presenting like and now from a scene from Measure for Measure. Can you smell what the Rock is about to watch? So what, what? So hang on. What does that have to do with Shakespeare? It was just the through line. But every now and then he would just come out and just go like he was topless, by the way, and oh yeah, and oh, wow. bronzed up like a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. He
0: wasn't. What year was the this? Year two thousand. So it's like just wrestler rock. It's not even like freaking Scorpion <laughs> King or anything. <laughs> he hadn't even been making movies yet. <laughs> we didn't even have be cool as his breakout <laughs> film. role. He would do.
2: He would do the eyebrow. It was. Oh my and god. And the play was called The Golden Willies. Oh wow. And then the because uh, of Will Shakespeare. Yeah. And then the other halfway through, I came out. I had very long hair at the time and my hair was all done up like Einstein. And I was like, no, no, Einstein should be winning man of the millennium. And that was a little bit of a thing. And my, I remember my reason for it was because <laughs> in the films, the canon of Yahoo serious. So the uh-huh, first film uh-huh. that he made that we all knew and loved was young Einstein. Of course. The second one, what was the second one?
1: Reckless Kelly. Who was that about? Mm-hmm. Ned
2: Kelly. And what were they trying to do in, in the in America? <laughs> I actually can't remember <laughs> okay, now. Okay, so the Sha- Shakespeare had is out of copyright, so you can make Shakespeare films <laughs> oh, for nothing. That's and right. I that's said so Shakespeare in in Yahoo series' Ovra, the film about, about Einstein is better than the film about Shakespeare, so Einstein should get the award. I thought it was very funny. No one wow. ever ever got my legs. <laughs> <list. laughs>
1: It's so a lot of ladies There's there. so many That's so specific To your mind And how it works
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm imagining you Like doing this To the audience Going okay So what was the movie By yeah. the guy That did Young <laughs> Einstein What did he do next Okay And then why Was he doing that In America I had a, And everyone just going I don't remember I, don't I had a whiteboard
2: I had it written up Like a beautiful mind With everything Going over my head And I had it all there And then I just Put it over And was like Yahoo serious I think there could have been An E equals MC wow. squared Joke there as well But I, I can't remember the detail.
0: Wow, well, E (laughs) equals MC, who
2: cares? (laughs) 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 That's so funny. So you
1: weren't particularly like, you weren't the guy introducing everyone to these fucking weird ass No, there was two
2: guys in my course. Jason was one of them. The other guy was Corey. Yeah, Corey was also, Corey was the guy who was like, the Academy Awards are like my AFL Grand Final. (gasps) Oh. (laughs) Wow, Corey,
0: you and I should get together sometime. And he
2: he had a love (laughs) for Tobey Maguire. That was his favourite actor (laughs) at the time. Uh, Cider House Rules, he loved. What's the one? um, (laughs) I love Cider House Rules. What's the one where it's at a university?
0: The Ice Harvest, no.
2: No. Uh, University Spider-Man 2? Michael Michael Douglas is in it, I think. Wonder Boys. (laughs) That's the one he loved,
0: yeah. Yeah, good movie.
2: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so Corey was really into the. And I think it was at Corey's house. I watched this.
0: Holy shit, Corey in the house!
2: Yeah, Hell yeah! And what was your
1: initial response to this movie? Watching it at Corey's, presumably
2: on DVD. Yes, it was on DVD. I I loved it. I thought it was great. I enjoyed it more than Fight Club. Yes. I enjoyed it more. And you might not like this, Alex. I enjoyed it more than The Matrix.
0: Oh wow! <gasps> wow. wow. Yeah. Holy shit! Yes, I'm hurt by this, you know, <laughs> but um, I shall persevere. I shall push through. But I think um, you've addressed something that I think is so key to this miniseries and the way that we think about this kind of genre cycle of movies this batch of films that we're collectively calling millennium mind is that they kind of land at the exact right time for everything converging together we've got like the american independent film movement moving on to all the filmmakers that kicked off their careers there to now making bigger studio movies with the same kind of complex narrative energy that they were putting into those earlier works. And those works have since become mainstream. They can push what the mainstream is a little bit further. And it converges at the exact same time where home movie market has evolved completely with DVDs. It's not just like going to the video store to rent stuff. It's like people can just buy their favorite movie and own forever now. And it all of these movies, to an extent demand a rewatchability to decode them to unearth all the secrets to completely understand them they demand that rewatchability and i think memento or mementoid if you want to call it that is kind of chief among them of like a movie that needs to be decoded a little bit and is something that is a an absolute dvd movie
2: on the dvd that you have alexi and Cam, mm-hmm. I think you have it as well mm. Did it have this special feature which was In the right order?
0: It does yeah. And I dare not watch it no. I have Why never would put you? it
1: on You know what's annoying is I remember a guy at uni saying to me Yeah, I watched the um, the special feature Where it plays the whole movie in order And it's just like It's just like a normal movie It's, it's like just a like shit movie. It's just it's a like shit Kind movie. of a boring movie And I was just like Yeah, but that's not the movie <laughs> That's not what it is Like it's deliberately structured backwards To make it more interesting and complex yeah. It's like me going like Yeah I watched um, <laughs> I watched The Sopranos like just at random intervals And not <laughs> in the way that it was released And it's just like doesn't really make sense yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid I hate people I hate that particular guy Yeah let's get him <laughs> He's dead now I killed all- him Oh god! I wrote little peace, notes dude. to myself and uh, <laughs> <laughs> led a, myself not... to murder him ages later. Do not trust his opinions on film on a Polaroid. <laughs> 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 All right, I can feel that we're itching to dive into it. I reckon we should dive in. What do you think?
0: Let's do it, babe. I guess I've already told you about my condition. Funny, every time I see you. You don't remember where you've been or what you've just done? I can't make new memories. Everything just fades.
2: What's the last thing you do remember? My wife. That's sweet.
0: Dying. You really want to get this guy, don't you? My wife deserves vengeance. Memento from the year 2000, directed by Christopher Nolan. Now, Josh, what we do on this podcast at this point in time is we have sought out a logline online for this movie, a synopsis, if you will. An online logline? Yeah, an online logline for the movie, (laughs) and it's called Love That Logline. And Cameron's found one today, and we have to hear him read it out to us, and we have to rate it. Tell him if we love it or if we hate it. Cameron, where have you found this logline?
1: This logline comes from uh, Quora.com. How do you pronounce it? Is it Quora? Quora?
2: Q-U-O-R-A. I've never said it out loud.
0: I would say... Q-U-O-R-A? Quora? (laughs) Quora? 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 I always say Quaria. Quora? Quora. Quaria?
1: Quora? So this is from... (laughs) It's from
2: Quara. So just, just to go back, Alexi, <laughs> because it's a five letter word And I'll be playing Wordle I would love it if one, one day the Wordle of the day is QAnon That would be so <laughs> great <separate. laughs> This is
1: Quara, Which is no relation to QAnon and it's one of those websites where we don't know
0: that. normal That's people
1: actually... ask questions about things and then I. Others... Well, so is
0: QAnon, yeah. dude. It's a website where normal people ask <laughs> nothing questions. Nothing like about QAnon. Them all every day. QAnon
1: is about people asking questions and uh, them getting definitive answers. Whereas yeah. Quora is about people asking questions and then the answers and are varied. Just some guy. Just some you random. Know? Whereas Q <laughs> actually gives definitive answers with QAnon. <laughs> As far as I know, there's no relation. So, someone has gone on Quora. Quora? Quoria? And (laughs) asked... Uma? Quoria? Have you guys met Uma? Someone has gone on Quora and asked, what is the plot of the movie Memento?
0: Okay, awesome.
1: And the first answer from Aditi Tana is, it's about an insurance investigator suffering from short-term memory loss. He knows his wife was murdered, so he tries to find the killer throughout the movie.
0: Spot on, that's it, that's Spot, on. <laughs> Spot on Spot on I like Let... that
2: It gives nothing away good <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
0: Consider good. that Quarrier answered.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty That's a pretty fair way To describe this movie Because You'd be very tempted to If someone asked What it was about To give the um, Stylistic device As your yeah. answer
2: Yeah It's like saying What's Schindler's list about Oh it's black and white that's yeah. That's not what it's about. What's it yeah, about? No, well, there's no, no. a little girl in a red coat.
1: And is she the main character or something? No, or? she's in it for one second, but it's the main thing that I remember from it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty sad stuff. <laughs> but you know, this movie is less sad than that. That's true. Um it is this had been the first time I'd watched Memento since i was about 14 years old and i had loved it back then the dvd of it was the first thing i ever bought online because it was a special us edition that i wanted to get i still maintain it in my collection at the moment and i uh i think i watched it once then and never again since so it was a real trip back in time uh reverse chronologically if you will To go back and watch it. And, you know, since then, I would say Christopher Nolan, with this film and with many of his other films, is one of the definitive voices of this entire miniseries. Like, the Mindfuck movies. He kind of (laughs) put his stamp on there so much so that it uh, developed into, like, this mainstream genre cycle that people... Obsess over And I think he is one of the keys in that regard To understanding like Why we are drawn to these kind of movies And why they endure
1: And it takes a certain type of guy To choose to fuck a mind When you could just entertain (laughs) He said I I could just Tell you a funny story about (laughs)
0: I'm about an insurance, about an insurance agent. agent, but you know
1: what? I'm gonna. Who's washed there? <laughs> I'm gonna
0: <laughs> lube
1: up. I'm gonna put. <laughs> I'm gonna wrap a wrap a rubber around my little fella down there, mm-hmm. and I'm. And gonna, half of it's gonna be in black and white. I'm gonna fuck uh, your
0: mind, babe. I <laughs> will take your fucking brain to Pound Town, honey. Let's see if you live to tell the tale. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, now, God. the very start of the film. Can I just say, mm. it says based on a short story, yeah, by Jonathan Nolan. Uh huh. yeah Uh huh. Now, this is a short story that hadn't been written. <laughs> you yeah. Know, he. Yeah. They were just doing a cross country drive, and they were Jonathan, hanging out. Jonathan Nolan told his brother, "Hey, I have an idea for this story." Told it to him, and Christopher Nolan said, "You should go and write that." But then he went off and made a wrote a screenplay based on his brother's conversation. Yeah. Which is so bizarre.
1: Do you think that's rude? Part of me thinks that's a bit rude to listen to your brother's idea and then go, hmm, that gives me an idea. I might do that.
0: Mm, I'll have that. Yeah. (laughs) I'll do that too, actually.
2: (laughs) When I first heard, I thought his brother had written the story and then he'd read the story, which made me go, Mm. do do either of you have siblings?
1: Yeah, I've got two younger siblings, and they both stole stories of mine and turned them into feature <laughs> films.
2: <laughs> so Cameron, if your siblings wrote a short story, would you ever read it? <laughs> so I've got two brothers too, and I would never read a short story they ever
1: wrote. No, no, me neither. None of my brothers have seen me do stand-up. I've been doing stand-up for 10 years, and neither of them have ever seen me do it.
0: <laughs> they saw you re- do your speech and your vows at your wedding. Oh that uh, yeah, that's, that's cl- similar. That's close. <laughs> that's yeah. the closest they've come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I was reading about this it's so strange because like they're on this t- they're on this road trip he tells him the story and they both go well let's tackle it and it takes jonathan nolan longer to figure out how to tell the story as a <laughs> short story than does christopher nolan to fucking go oh well here's the device i'm gonna do it's gonna be reverse chronology mm. it's gonna be two ends of the story meeting in the middle and this and um the, novel, the short story was published in Esquire a month before the movie came out.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I read it. It's It's really good. It's so entertaining. It's so different to the movie as well, because obviously the movie has the reverse chronology. This one doesn't, but it just has big gaps of time where the character wakes up and doesn't know where he is and then realizes that he's... He's in a hotel room and finds the oh, clues, wow. and then he wakes up again. And he's in a car and he's holding a gun and stuff like that, and he's trying to piece together what his mission
0: is. And through does the narration like withhold stuff?
1: Yeah, the narration withholds it, and then slowly you realise that this is a guy on a mission to kill his wife's killer, essentially, and as he's realising it, it's pretty cool. Um, but and it's... his name is Earl. His name's Earl, like the your favourite TV show,
0: Alexa. Yeah, I love My Name is Earl. God, oh. okay, you've just sold this to me. Because, you know, that is an interesting show where Guy's name is Earl. And now this is an interesting book. So, so
2: when you hear Earl, Alex like, so do you think of the TV show? Is that the first thing that comes to your mind?
0: As soon as you said, and his name is Earl, I <laughs> saw Jason Lee in my head. <laughs> you don't no, see no Josh one else. No one else comes to mind. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I only thought of that TV show. Josh, I when I hear the word Josh, I think of you probably in the first three images. Yes. I only saw Earl from the TV show, My Name Is Earl, <laughs> and then my brain stopped to work. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Look, it's a, it's a good... I reckon it's worth a read. It's still up on on Esquire's website, Memento Mori. It's called by Jonathan Nolan. Um, But I do think that the film takes the premise and runs with it in a better direction. And it's purely down to that stylistic choice that Nolan stumbled upon of revealing it backwards so that every scene we are in the dark again and we don't know what the motivations are that led us there. It's fucking... To, like I know, it's been a long time. This movie came out a long time ago, but I still gotta say it's fucking, it's fucking cool.
0: Yeah, dude, this movie is epic. It is awesome. Source. It is the bacon of movies. It is so cool and awesome. <laughs> but I, and now to uh, digress from stupid, I would say that. Um, I think it's something that will come up more as we continue on with this series is this is like the first film that we're looking at that is like a very modern contemporary uh, millennium take on the noir film and like the neo-noir. And I think this movie speaks in... When you uh, say
1: neo-noir, are you talking about The Matrix?
0: Yes, it's the first movie (laughs) in the neo-noir saga, which is... Noir movies post Neo. Okay, okay. I get it now. <laughs> um, but uh, it is <laughs> Neo Noir is French Neo, so it's kind of like the Merovingian, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh with this film, I think it speaks so much like in uh like Tantum or like talks to Sunset Boulevard in that we have like this image ...of like where the movie begins... ...and that is not at the start of the film... ...and then we have this idea of like a regressing narrative... ...where we go, here's the end point... ...how do we get to the end point? And then the way that we explore it from there is so fascinating... ...and it's so interesting to see how much it works... ...because it's almost simple... ...it almost feels like a simple way to tell this story... uh, ...the way that Christopher Nolan has like this complex narrative idea... And then he translates it into a very simple, rather easy to understand methodology, which is there are some scenes that uh, uh are... take place in reverse order, and they're in color, and we see the last bit of that scene that we just watched before, at the end of the scene that we're currently watching, and so it's we are able to easily unpack that's how that story's going. And then we've got these other scenes that are in black and white, they just begin with Guy Pierce in a room, on a phone, and they're going in forward chronology, and we kind of meet in the middle with them. And it's so... like an elegant way to redo the noir format which is mysteries uh and kind of unlocking these mysteries such a new way to do it and the thing that i find most exciting or like the kind of genius touch that christopher nolan brings is that it allows us in reverse chronology to be on the same speed as the protagonist and to be completely linked to the protagonist to be in their shoes to empathize with them and to like them because we don't know what's happened in their life before and neither do they. So we just kind of feel sympathy and empathy and just aligned with them in a way that you wouldn't be with this character in any other sense.
2: Agreed. I also think something that needs to be, is the inner monologue actually really works in this film. Sometimes Mm -hmm. monologues, I think, Mm. are just an easy way to go, all right, we don't have the scene that connects this, so let's just have a monologue so the audience aren't lost. But this one actually adds to the story as well. And there is one scene where he's doing the monologue out loud and I forget the the woman's name in the film, uh, Carrie-Anne Moss, but she's... Uh, Natalie. But she's listening to him and at no point does she go, hey, what are you? she doesn't ask anything. She's hey, like, all right. Pal, I, yeah why what's, are you talking? I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah, and
0: the narration is so... Weird because I think Christopher Nolan gets so much like flack, especially with the Batman movies, for having zero sense of humor. Like he's a criminally unfunny guy and his movies are they've got you know, they've got little one liners that just are not jokes or not funny. This movie's funny. Like it's so weird like how kind of funny this movie is and how much comedic like voice is added in the Mm. narration. Highlight of the whole movie for me. Is when Guy Pierce just zones in. It's one of his wake up moments where his brain starts ticking again, and we start following. And he's running, and there's another guy running. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm chasing this guy." And the other guy starts shooting. He's like, "Oh no, he's chasing me!" And it's <laughs> it's the best part of the whole movie that he gets like a gag out there that just works really well. I yeah, fan, I,
1: I love that it's funny, and I read uh, I read Christopher and Jonathan both say that they needed it to be because it's pretty fucking heavy subject wise what's i mean it's a vengeance story about a rape and murder and stuff like it's pretty hardcore what's going on and this guy's trauma is actually very sad that he can't connect to people he doesn't know anything so they were sort of saying in the writing process if they weren't able to get any chuckles through the process of making this movie Mm. It would be unwatchable. And I I have to agree. I think that their writing lends itself to being pretty funny. There's a lot of good gags, a lot of good jokes. But also the casting is key to this shit. And the fact that, like, the villain of the movie dies in the opening seconds of it. Joe Pantaleone, Joe Pants. If that was any other actor. If Joey Pants was... If it wasn't him. If they'd cast, like, an actual, like... Any bad guy, mm-hmm. it would just be a bit... I don't know, it would feel like movies we've seen before. But the fact that he is not only the villain, but he's the comic relief of the movie, I think is such an interesting yep. decision.
0: There's such like a sweet scumbagness about Joey Pants. Like yeah. the, the delight on his face was like, Lenny! <laughs> it's just like... He brings me so much joy. He's one of my favourite actors ever. And it's such a good use of him. Like you're saying, it could have been anyone. It could have been like a Harvey Keitel, like someone who's like a hard actor and like has like a different presence. But because he's got like this kind of jovial presence, even though he almost always plays scumbags Mm. and slime balls, Mm. the way that he's able to play like joy and feel like an actual helping friend, it always sets you on edge of like, is this guy going by the book? Is he on the number? Is he on the letter?
2: I though watching it rewatching it this time, I was watching it the whole time going, If this was cast today, Bill Burr would be doing that character. Oh uh, yeah, they they Such operate a... in a similar space. Yeah. Hey,
0: yeah. God, they gotta play brothers or something. Well, thing, I would yeah, love that.
1: I think with Joey Pants, you know if he's cast, you know he's not really gonna be playing a good guy. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you probably don't think he's gonna be the big bad in this movie. If anything, you think maybe he's a slimy, crooked cop who's um taking advantage of Lenny, and he is, but he's also... He becomes the villain. Like, he becomes the big bad in this movie. And Mm. um, and I I read somewhere, one of the the brothers was talking about how um, they really did not want to have, like, the third-act villain monologue that happens in a lot of these noirs. But they reached a point in the screenwriting where it became unavoidable that there was going to have to be an exposition dump from the villain. And there is... But they were saying because it's Joey Pants and because he's quite funny and he delivers everything so casual, it never feels like the third act, we're in the lair and the villain is telling me the plan. It feels like he's just kind of a guy fucking with him.
2: Yeah, and it kind of makes sense in this film that you can tell the protagonist the, like, your reasoning because they're going to forget in like <laughs> 10 minutes anyway. So yeah, you can kind of get away with it. Like the scene where... Carrie Ann Moss's character kind of just explains everything to him mm. and then hides the pens and then goes out. And it's like she's the real villain in terms of like oh, who, that's who, crazy. who treats him the worst. But it's that thing of like she just can tell him everything and going, yeah, I'm just going to go out in the car and you're not going to remember when I come back in. And it's, she plays it so well. It's that's, I l- fucking love
1: those two scenes back to back. You know, the first one where he she's beaten up and she tells him yeah. the story and you just believe it. And then the context that comes later, the immediately preceding scene where she's like, "It's sinister." What an, what an amazing performance from Carrie Ann Moss there, where she gets to be two things in the space of ten minutes, and and uh, and she says that fuck the line that she says that gets me is when she's like, "You're gonna forget this anyway. We'll go back to being best friends, or maybe even lovers." And he's like, "Fuck!" Like, because he know he's like, "I probably would fuck her." Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> Oh God! I'm gonna fuck this girl. I don't even like her. She's it's such a
0: cool performance. Like, especially now having just seen Matrix Resurrections and Carrie Anne Moss like stealing the absolute show in that movie, and it just feels like where have why have filmmakers not been using her to Mm -hmm. the utmost of her capabilities over the last? two decades from her in this movie and the Matrix back to back she's the reason Joey Pants is in this movie because she's like oh I just did the Matrix with Joey Pants you should get him to play this character he's really fucking good and like like you said Cam that turn is Mm. so like heartbreaking it feels so tensely tormenting to that character especially because of the way that we feel with that character how we are in the same world as them and we interpret the world the same way that he does it feels so nasty and so cruel which i think is like a key to understanding this movie it's about a vulnerable person Mm
2: -hmm. that
0: is being used by other people to either their advantage in an extremely selfish way or in just a kind of selfish way like even like little like, interactions that he has with the motel clerk who's like yeah i rented mm. you two rooms to make extra money yeah who's, like, is yeah. that
1: mark boone jr is that who yeah. that is fuck yeah. i love He's, that guy
2: and he even says i told my boss about your situation and he said try and rent him two rooms in. <laughs> yeah, like right. just so matter of fact <laughs> that's it. right
1: yeah it's so true that's the tragedy of this movie is that it's like <clears throat> i mean and the brilliance of the premise is like a guy on a mission, but he never remembers what the mission is, and also he'll he won't remember it once he's done it. And at the same time, everyone else around him, realizing that they can use him for their own their own selfishness. There's a great moment in the um, short story. It's actually really sad, and it's the reason that I like it so much, actually, is the very end of the short story is he does it. He kills the guy, kills John G., or whatever his name is, and uh, as he's driving away, he realizes that he needs to write it down or he'll forget it, and he drops his pen in the car, and he's scrambling around to try and find it, and then he picks it up, but by the time he's picked it up, he totally forgets what he was going to write down. And that's just the end of the fucking story, that this is a guy who will just continue to do this. It's so sad. This is sad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think Guy Pearce is a uniquely equipped actor to capture the breadth that is necessary for both the character and the film. Because mm. he is funny. Guy Pierce is a funny actor. Yep. We Like, he gives a great tour-de-force comedic performance in freaking Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Mm. And then he's capable of, like, these great emotional depth. And I think it's, like, such a... Like he often gets talked about being as being like the great modern chameleonic actor, and I think that it is such a testament to his chops that we as Australians also recognise that. Even though to us he's like one of the biggest mega wattage stars to ever come out of this country as well.
2: Mm. One thing though, when I watched it back then, it was he should have a tattoo on himself which says bleach your hair every six weeks mm. <laughs> because I know he's not <laughs> blonde and so it really did take me out going why has this guy got blonde hair? There's yeah, no- do you
1: think he's supposed to be he's supposed to have dyed his hair?
2: Well, I just read <laughs> before this that it was meant to go to Brad Pitt they offered Brad Pitt the role first mm. okay, and he turned it down because he couldn't like didn't w- w- fit with his schedule so maybe they were like going alright, we'll get a guy that looks a little bit like Brad Pitt mm. Skinnier Brad Pitt yeah, a skinny blonde-haired guy. Who's he looks looking. more like uh,
1: Jared Leto in Fight Club.
0: Yeah, mm. especially with that I always that thought hand. he looks like freaking Aragorn. He looks like Viggo Mortensen in this movie.
1: He, he, we're all just naming handsome people, yeah. so
0: yeah. And this is the chameleonic power of Guy Pearce. He can look like any of these fellas. When we
1: call someone a chameleonic actor, what we're saying is they're pretty good-looking. Yeah.
0: They're good-looking and they're versatile. Yeah.
1: Because we never say that about, like, fucking the ugliest actor on the planet. Like,
0: Well, Steve Buscemi is chameleonic. I would He plays say that so. chameleon guy in Monsters, <laughs> Inc.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I really do love Guy Pearce in this. And I think it's, like, an interesting choice to get him to because it's not like he was a big name. He never quite has been, has he? But he's...
2: No, so he, he, what, he'd just come off LA Confidential, which would have been yeah. for mm-hmm. most Americans where they first saw him. Then yeah. he did this, and mm. then what did he do after that? I mean, they did that Time
1: Machine movie not long after this. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. the adaptation the of Time HG Machine. Wells time the time machine. Wells
0: shit. Oh, my Lord. Pretty awful.
1: Uh, and then, yeah, I think mainly just sort of back to small parts, hey?
0: Yeah, he was in that movie Ravenous. Have you ever seen that? No. It's a kind no. of cool, weird movie and the Count of Monte Cristo right after Memento would have been like the other big one. But then he does Time Machine, comes back to Australia, does the hard word. He's kind of in and out of Australia and America, just like playing interesting kind of side characters a lot of the, part, a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he's considered good, but he, I think he's incredibly underrated because it's... We're we're always stoked when he pops up in something. Him in Animal right. Kingdom was so he's so cool yeah. and so good in that. He's Mayor even, of East Town was great. Mayor of East Town is great in that. He was great in Iron Man three and stuff. Like whenever he pops up, I'm happy. But it is bizarre that he didn't really like pop after this because this is it's a showy performance. He gets to yeah. do every movie star thing you want to see. Someone do he fights. He shoots guns. He has a sex scene. He gets to do emotional shit. Like it's, it's a. He's wearing top a suit. Yeah. Oh,
2: the tan suit. The suit rules, actually. It goes Obama in the tan suit, then Memento <laughs> in the tan suit. They're the two hottest guys in tan suits. Maybe, maybe Tom Cruise in Collateral
1: as well. Yeah,
0: we love that suit in Collateral. <laughs> with that white hair. I think um maybe the answers in this movie in that while this is a bigger breakout role than like LA Confidential because it's like a bigger, more iconic movie because the film is so singular uh, the film is the star rather than the cast or the actors in any kind of way oh, it's yeah. like a breakout movie and because it is so unique it just it's hard for anyone else to pop beyond what the film is doing as a showpiece
1: yeah, that's a good point yeah it's pretty I agree with yeah. that Alexi. yeah, it's pretty hard Thanks, to guys. like step out of like this the structure of the movie is the is the thing everyone talks about and everyone, you know, but I think like everyone else is just there to serve the structure of this movie essentially.
0: One other criticism that gets kind of thrown at Christopher Nolan, especially more recently, is a trope that he holds on to. And this is like that trope incarnate. The trope of the dead wife being the motivator for every kind of factor of the lead protagonist, the entire motivation, their emotional arc is tied to this. This movie is almost feels like redemptive in the way that it handles it compared to how it would kind of evolve later on.
1: So, what's an example in the, in his other films?
0: Like Inception, how Marion Cotillard is dead.
1: Oh yeah, I guess I forgot that from Inception. Interstellar
0: as well. His oh, his
1: wife's dead in that, right? But he's his raising the His wife's dead the in the Interstellar. Kids. He's raising. What
2: about the kids. Dunkirk? I've not
0: seen Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Every no woman is at risk of dying should the war continue. So <laughs>
1: I don't even think. <laughs> Are there any female characters in Dunkirk?
0: Uh, maybe something. Uh, I don't need so. <laughs> a little so. something like an extra kind of role. Right, maybe uh, well,
2: in in the Batman ones, it's the parents. That's what. That's oh yeah, dies.
1: Martha. Martha Wayne yep. has tragically passed away, and then of course and Rachel Dawes Rachel passes Dawes away. Wise. Yeah, okay. Yep. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I I know that that's considered to be an incredibly negative trope a lot of the time. Like people call it fridging, right? Where yeah, like, the- fridging. It's some comic book thing, right? Where uh, someone's wife was dead and found in a fridge or something like that. Is that it? it comes from Disney's head. So Walt well, Disney's <laughs> what? Head. Disney's in a fridge. <laughs> the classic fridging. Um, but I think for a noir film, I don't care too much. Like everyone's dying mm. in this in these movies. I love the tropes of noir. I love a femme fatale, a shadowy cop, like a mm. investigator. I'm okay with it. Like. Yeah, and, and also there's real tragedy to it. I mean, he's the moment where he hires that um, escort to come and sleep in the bed with him and then trick him into thinking that his wife is still alive so that he can, I guess, feel the pain of it again mm. or something is really fucking heartbreaking. It's a, really, and it's a nice moment to watch on screen.
0: Yeah, I agree. So
1: I need it. I need it. I'm sorry. I need his wife to be dead for this movie to work.
2: Is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I doubt he would have been married when he made this film. Is he married now? Imagine being his wife though. Every single film is like, yeah, it's my, my dead w- about my dead wife. And I'm gonna go. You'd be thinking, what's what's going on?
0: Like... I Hamo, who is our Nolan extrovert, Justin yes. Hamilton, he has talked to me about this because it was like my big complaint. Um, for uh, tenant, I think it was like him trying to combat like his dead wife trope by giving a character agency, and then it was even more hackneyed by her being like a survivor of domestic violence. And then Hamo kind of put the dead wife thing into perspective for me. That I found fascinating, but him going like, "Yeah, well, Christopher Nolan's married, and he works with his wife every day. She's his producer." I I can see it being, for him, the worst thing that he can possibly imagine is if his wife dies. And I think it's like a tragedy that Christopher Nolan deals with through his movies.
2: Mm. I reckon it starts off as a bit of a fantasy, just going, all right, she's dead. And yeah. now I've got the creative juices flowing. Let's get it out.
1: <laughs> and now I can fuck Trinity from The Matrix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we love a wife, Guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I understand the criticism, but it's it doesn't. Um, I don't know. I don't know what we'd do without it. Like, what would this movie mm, be about? Yeah. His brother gets killed or some shit. Actually, that also would be funny if <laughs> <laughs> stole the story and I <laughs> killed my brother. Yeah. Off. Steals, steals his brother's story and then kills kills his own brother in the movie.
0: I <laughs> would also be brilliant. Yeah, that's awesome. If it's freaking like brother side, that's a cool dude. And yeah. His
2: brother dies because he's driving him across country and they have a car crash and the brother dies and he survives.
0: Yeah, yeah because and he dies because the brother was telling an interesting story <laughs> yeah. and then the car crashed. And he didn't
2: see the the stop sign because it'd been put, some some teens had like vandalized it. So yeah. he's on on the hunt to kill these teens.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, I'd probably still watch that movie.
2: He has to find their tag and then, d- d- like, decode it from there. Oh, that's actually yeah.
1: pretty
0: sick. Tag hunt. Oh, that's... A- tag, hunter. Tag, tag Hunter. It's called Tag Hunter now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, like, the actual tattooing element of this movie and the idea of having to imprint your memories before you forget them is, like, the kind of thing that gives it the greatest sense of urgency yeah. and, like, why this is a thriller because it kind of doesn't work on paper to make a story as thrilling backwards as it is forwards and it kind of that those moments where goes I've got to write this down, I've got to write this down, I've got to get it onto my body somehow those are like those time sensitive elements that keep the mm. peaks and valleys going in the same direction even though the story's not going in the same direction the and- uh,
2: only one of those that took me out though was when he, he looks in the mirror with a uh, What what was the character's name? What was the Lenny? No, not Lenny. The the woman Oh Natalie. 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 They're reading it together and it says my wife was raped and it's like it's so easy to read that backwards. Yeah, that's she does she doesn't need to look in the mirror to decode yeah. this kind of message. It was like sort of, oh like anyway. Yeah, that was the only that thing that also me
0: bothered me as well. Yeah, rape is one of the most striking words even yes. seeing it I'm like oh god. Yeah, yeah, it's not she she definitely <laughs> even didn't Even backwards to do that. I think I <laughs> yeah. would have a shock. Like if a guy's got that that dude on his body, <laughs> I could read it freaking upside down inside out no problem. Well, that's a that's a I really do like the tattoo thing and it is like
1: uh, it's a bit cheesy now. I guess maybe just cuz it's been 22 years since this came out. So Maybe it's a little cheesy to have a guy covered in tattoos of his own vengeance and shit like that, but the the like the jeopardy of it is what works for me, is that he mm. has to rush to a fucking tattoo parlor, screech on the brakes and run in and be like, quick, tattoo John G raped and murdered my wife across my <laughs> chest. I need to, before I forget, <laughs> quick, quick, just quick.
0: Excellent. We don't have time to start the fucking machine going and push the pins into me.
1: Because how long does he have? It's never quite made clear, but no. it seems like sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's mm. half a day. Like, would there have been, because when he has sex with Trinity, would he have, like, forgotten halfway through that?
2: Halfway through, just go, what am I doing? Oh, my God. Great. I'm
1: married. I'm a married man. <laughs>
2: No, no, no.
0: Wait your wife's dead. Look check in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, check out that. Check out your collarbones, brother. <laughs> <laughs> we got an update for you. This is guilt-free love it's, mate. It's, so... that's, the, that's
1: the part that kind of freaks me out. Like, how long does he have? Mm. Um, hey, but I had a question. Like, as far as Christopher Nolan is concerned, like, he's gone bigger and bigger every year, it seems like. His mm. star has never truly faded as a director. He's
0: a franchise all He's a, unto himself. He is his
1: own fucking franchise. You're right, like Tarantino or someone like that, where mm-hmm. we, we hang out for the new Nolan movie. But do you think I mean where does this stand in the canon of Nolan movies to you guys? Do you put this do you rate it or do you see it as like a draft of what he wanted to do in the future?
2: So I really rate it because I saw it first. It was the first of all these films I saw. Mm. So And there was because I remember it watching them review this on at the movies or the mm. movie show it might even been called back then and they were really like this is a, an amazing filmmaker he's he's and they had an interview with him and it was it was great and so it was that bit of buzz like oh this is the new guy and it was all that talk about it went to whatever it can or sundance and kind of just everyone wanted it mm. yeah. but then i watched so i then well, i think inception was the next film of his i watched so i missed like two or three oh no i did watch insomnia Oh, fuck. I forgot Pacino. about that one. Yeah.
0: Ooh, the lights don't go out in this place. <laughs> it's cold and it's bright.
2: I didn't really like that at the time. I haven't watched it. It probably is great, but I haven't watched it. I was like 22, 23. So yeah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I ranked this very high in his, in his filmography.
0: I think it's an interesting point, Cam, because it kind of is the kicking off point for this entire huge career. Yeah, it feels eclipsed. <clears throat> I think it really does feel eclipsed. Like, even as far as, like, the mind-bending aspects of his movies go, people... Like, Inception is a touchstone for what a... Like, literally, a cultural shortcut to say, oh, it's Inception, it's this within of this, mm. as far as, like, mind-bending movies go. And even to Prestige kind of gets more hits than this does when it goes to, like, oh, a great twist ending mm. is the Prestige. Um but I do think he's the granddaddy of all this shit. And so is this movie. I having now gone back to it would rank it really highly among his films. I think it is like a genuine classic.
1: I also, I think I'm with you there. And I also like how low it it is at the end of the day. There's, mm. there's maybe like five locations in the movie. There's only four cast really. Um, and it's, Fuck all effects It's like all practical effects All in camera stuff There's the reversed Polaroid at the beginning There's the moment where it goes from black and white To colour with the development of the photo Mm. Otherwise it's relatively It's not very showy Um, And I think with his later films particularly, Particularly Inception and Tenet I get lost in the effects of it all I love how stripped back and and like this almost feels like an indie movie, and I love that about it.
2: I kind, kind of, of like... it got nominated for best editing, which I think the, the editing would be quite simple. It was all the storyboarding, which would be complicated, mm. but the editing itself would be like, all right, this is the next scene. But like, I think people got tricked and got oh the editors must have been so like crazy it's yeah. like no that would have been laid out pretty easy it's
1: pretty yeah, you'd it's, be so the... pissed off if you just if the editors just presented this to you and went hey we decided to do it backwards
0: <laughs> we came up with an idea when we were doing the rough cut that uh we're going to do some bits in black and white and it's going to like tell you a different story it's going to be backwards It's like okay if you guys say so I guess we're going to go this way one thing I did like
2: in this like not just the black and white to color but also all the guy Pierce scenes, the Lenny scenes, you're a bit closer to Lenny than you are the other characters. So, mm. so you do really feel like you're in his head kind of a lot more than the other characters. It's That's really well done as well.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you're the closest to Lenny than you are to any of the other protagonists of a Christopher Nolan movie. And another big criticism that he gets is that his films aren't emotional. And I think in the past, Alexi, you and I have talked about how Dunkirk... Sort of tapped into emotion mm-hmm. through the use of young actors, you know, as the soldiers and stuff But yeah. but this one, I really, I actually buy the emotion the whole way through I think that the, I the criticism is unwarranted if you just look at this movie And he is capable of tapping into something really tragic and sad But maybe that just gets lost When you're working with a superhero or Mm. like dreams within dreams or space travel and shit like that, it sort of, it gets, human emotion gets lost to the magnitude of those things.
0: I think as well, something that you're kind of leaning towards that I hadn't even really considered until watching this movie again after everything else he's made was that... In these, in his later films, that kind of play with complex narratives in different ways. There's kind of filmmaking flourishes that hide the seams of like how the trickery works, and I think the simplicity of this film, where like it just dissolves and fade in and fade out between yeah. like the different techniques of storytelling, how they're presented to you. There is, like, this elegant simplicity to it, uh, where the storytelling will speak for itself rather than, like, the high-end filmmaking technique hiding the seams. It allows you to just completely understand the movie. Uh, Whereas I think people, at times, kind of struggle... Uh, with some of like the mind-bending aspects of inception or tenant uh, of tenet um, where you're trying to go like oh what is this where are we how does this work but because this is so matter-of-factly presented it shows that his actual skill as a filmmaker is taking complicated ideas and then in a very simple elegant way, communicating them very effectively to an audience through a visual technique. And I think that, you know, the guy's got to go back to basics and chuck this shit back on. Because I think even, like, other filmmakers that you don't expect have taken, like, these ideas of how to present complex narratives to an audience in a really simple and elegant way. Like, I look at this movie where it's color-coded. The timelines are color-coded of black and white meaning forward, color meaning backward. And, like, that is kind of what Greta Gerwig does to... Uh, to delineate the timelines in her adaptation of Little Women in a really kind of similar yet elegant way. And I think it just feels so effective and it's weird to go, oh, I think that there's a little bit of DNA shed between two extremely opposing different movies. Mm. Fuck, that is a link I would never have
1: expected you to make, but I'm glad you did. Yes, it is what I
0: do. It is my (laughs) lot in this life.
1: It's your curse, unfortunately. (laughs)
0: unfortunately for me. But this is this is a groundbreaking movie, and I can't believe how much I got out of it coming back to it. I think that we are all in agreement this movie is sick. Christopher Nolan, you're fucking champ, brother. And we should give this movie <laughs> some freaking Academy Awards. Let's march a couple of little gold men over to Nolan's house, knock on the door, and hand them away. First to be handed away is a contentious one for this movie because we give away awards, Josh, for Best Character Actor. And this movie may as well be the fucking Mount Rushmore of character actors in my opinion. They're all in it. Two of
2: the absolute best. Who are your two bests? Well, Joey Pants Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah And
2: I can't even say the other guy's name Steve, what's his name? Steven Tobolowski.
1: Yeah, there you
0: go Yeah. Oh my god I'm such a big Tobo fan Steven Tobolowski is literally one of my guys He had a podcast 10 years ago With David Chen from the Slash Filmcast Now the Filmcast Called The Tobolowski Files And it is a storytelling podcast Where he just tells stories from his life And he is a fucking master storyteller Steven Tobolowski And I re-listened to his episode Of this Tobolowski Files Where he talks about auditioning for Memento And how he's, the character he plays Which is, what's the name of the Sammy character? Jankus. Sammy Jankus Remember, Sammy Remember.
2: Jankus.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot Sammy Jenkins. I didn't write it down on my body. Um, but he read that, he re- they were like, when he got the audition or the notes, there's no lines. This character has no lines in the movie, um, in the script. And he's like, can I get the whole script to find out what this is? He read the script. He's like, this is the best thing I've ever read in my fucking life. I will. Can I talk to Christopher Nolan? Can I meet him and just talk to him? Because he had gone through a bout of amnesia himself in real life, Stephen Tobolowski. He had like a temporary memory loss, and he basically pitched Nolan's like, You might find other actors, you might find better actors but you won't find anyone else that will connect with this material as deeply as me because I've gone through amnesia. I've gone through this.
2: He repeated the same day over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) And he's the one that had no freaking idea. (laughs) (laughs) But I
0: I just love Tobo. I think he's the freaking... He's the boss man, dude.
1: Yeah, he rules. Actually, Josh, there's an episode of that podcast about... um, working with David Byrne from Talking Heads that I reckon you'd really
0: dig. Ah. Yeah. Do you know what his nickname was? Who's? Radiohead. Oh, that's right.
2: Do you know Radiohead was meant to be, they were meant to play Paranoid Android at the end of this film. That was going to be the song at the very end over the credits. It was too expensive.
0: Yeah, he is the reason that band has that name because David Byrne called him Radiohead. They got their freaking name from the song Radiohead based on freaking Steven Tobolowsky. Yep. So it all ties together. Um, there's so many other
1: character actors in this that we need to shout out. Mark Boone Jr. I'm a mm-hmm. sucker for seeing that guy's grizzled, hairy mug oh, up on a fucking what the film great screen. Great
0: slobs.
2: Also, who plays the <laughs> so who plays the uh slob. kind of the barfly in the bar who who spits in the drink? That guy's great. Oh, his little chuckle. Yeah. It's so, it's so that spot guy. On.
1: Fuck, I don't I don't even know his name, but yeah, I know the guy you're talking about. Um we've Dwayne also Dwayne go-
0: Johnson, I believe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we've also got Thomas Lennon in this movie mm-hmm. from the state
0: as a, as a doctor. Reno yep. 911, one of the biggest screenwriters in comedy history. And, of course, yeah. he's in the Odd Couple remake alongside Chandler Bing himself, <laughs> Matthew Perry.
1: But I I want to give a very special shout-out. And potentially, if I was to give the Oscar away, I would give it to this I who performer. You know I mean, you can probably tell who I'm going to give I, it to. I
0: know who you're going to say. Sammy Jenkins' wife.
1: Sammy Jenkins' wife, Mrs. Jenkins, played by Harriet Sansom Harris, who has become one of my favorite character actors over the last couple of years, particularly in the last six months after seeing her in Licorice Pizza and just being, like, blown away by her. She's just one of those people. She's got just a fucking hell of a face. I love to watch her face react to things. I love to watch her smile. I love to watch her be sad. And she does all that shit in this when she lets... Her husband kill her with too much insulin.
0: Yeah, she's so good. Her and Tobolowski together, they like yeah. have this like very natural chemistry that feels very lived in like a proper married couple. I think it's a joint award.
2: Now <laughs> speaking of Sammy Jenkins, do you think the Sammy Jenkins story is real? Or do you think he's made that up? Because this is the one thing it like, you know, the movie, even though it's they mess with the format. It's very linear. It's like this is what this is the story. Mm. You understand the story, but then there's that one little flash where it's mm. actually Lenny in the mental mm-hmm. asylum, and, and he's
0: injecting Georgia Fox because she has diabetes.
2: Yeah, and it's and then uh, Joey Pants tells him, "No, your wife, your wife had diabetes." He goes, "No, she didn't. I'd, I'd remember if she did." And it's like, yeah, it's that one thing in the film. I'm like, oh, that's the one. The one thing that didn't get tied up in the film And I, I like that it didn't I'd like that it's Me too uh, Yeah, to
1: me that in My, my interpretation is that that is um, That is Teddy fucking with him I think mm, I really? think Teddy is fucking with him a lot Through this movie By telling him different Different versions of stories And little tricks Like the first time we meet Teddy He tries to trick Lenny into thinking that it's his car And stuff like that I think mm. that he just likes to do that. It's He's a little snaky little fuck.
0: First time we meet Teddy, he's got fucking blood pouring out the front yeah. of his head. <laughs> well, That's true. <laughs> or squirting back in, rather. Um, I read it as... I, I, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a suck- sucker for Joey Pants. And I'm like... In, to me, I believe everything he says throughout yeah. the whole movie. I'm like, yeah, this guy's nice. He's funny. He's cool. He's kind of sexy and stuff. I think he's cool, <laughs> like little kangol hats you that he wears in real life. You think
2: he's sexy? No, I
0: think Joey man. Pants is sexy. A cab. A
2: he... cab, Alexi. A cab. Come on. Well,
0: I know him as a gangster as well, dude. So <laughs> oh, I am A cap. I know him as a gangster. Actually, this is, I'm going to give away another Oscar right now. This goes to um, The Wig Maker. <laughs> In The Sopranos, because Joey Pants, a cup a year or two after making this movie, he gets cast as Ralph Cifaretto, uh, an iconic character from The Sopranos. And when he's talking to the wig maker for his piece, he goes, I've got this friend, can you make my hair look like his? And he showed her a picture of Christopher Nolan. <laughs> And that's why Christopher Nolan and Ralph Schifferone have the same haircut. (laughs) Hang on. Let me
1: look up a photo of both of them. I need to see.
0: (laughs) This is true. He told the wig makers, like, my friend has the hair that I want this character to have. Because it's this real English foppy guy. (laughs) And I think that's how Ralph sees himself.
1: (laughs) Fuck, that is so funny. (laughs) He does. (laughs) He has Christopher Nolan hair.
0: Yeah, do you know what's also weird? If you look at movies where oh Joe Pants sometimes has hair before this, it's the same haircut, so I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> There's a ph- I found a photo on a website
1: called Head Topics, and it's a side-by-side of uh, Ralphie Cifaretto and Christopher Nolan, exact same hair. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I
0: love it. That's great. Far out. Hey, we have come to the time of the podcast. We play the total reboot segment, Josh. We have got the rights to this movie. In fact, we've even got the rights to Memento Mori, the short story it's almost based on, <laughs> and we can reboot this. How do you see this movie existing in the 21st century? Ooh. How would you reboot it?
2: I I don't think it would be... I think make it as a a series...
0: I agree Whoa. I see this as like a network TV show Like the Limitless sequel TV <laughs> series
1: so, <laughs> so it's like so, on NBC or something like that
2: So he's set it up that his memory can only last for half an hour And mm-hmm. the show only goes for half an hour Oh, yeah.
0: that's good That's it and Oh, so it's... it's like 24,
1: sort of Like we know yeah. that we have a half hour window And then his memory going to erase again
2: and then But the it's next half episode... hour,
0: so it's a sitcom
2: Yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the next episode is before that cuz speaking of that's pretty cool cuz Seinfeld actually. did this as well Seinfeld did Yes a they did it the before back. this yeah, right before yeah. this in like 97 or something Yeah like that.
0: yeah I love so the that episode. Indian wedding episode Yeah that's this dope.
2: device was around It's a
1: crazy episode that one that's fucking it's actually still incredibly jarring to
0: watch Yeah it was the last new episode of Seinfeld I ever saw I remember vividly on a Saturday morning turning on TV1, TV's greatest mm-hmm. hits, and that episode playing. I was like, hang on a tick. I've never seen this shit before.
1: It's crazy. So you do you reckon that your, our reboot idea is sort of like it's a half hour comedy, situation comedy, multi-camp.
0: Mm-hmm. Starring Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) And it's about how comedians come up with their material. I
2: was thinking we get Michael 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 Richards Richards
0: to play. (laughs)
2: It starts with him telling people racist stuff they used to hang on. And then we go back in time to see how we got there.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's very good. Okay, that's awesome. That's a green light. God. Hey, Josh, thank you so much for hanging out with us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. You are currently wrapping up... Your, like, my favorite podcast ever. Don't you know who I am? After 300 episodes?
2: Yeah. So at 300, we go monthly, but behind the paywall. So it's going to be on mm. Patreon only. Mm. And I'm doing, I'm recording almost like a residency at Comedy Republic. So those awesome. shows are on sale. They're going to be the first Saturday of every month. But uh, there, it's, yeah, so the podcast itself is out every single Wednesday, uh, Cam's on the latest one, Alexi, you did uh, one of the best ofs not that long ago, mm-hmm. and yeah, so if you haven't listened to it, there's 288 of them out there, 12 more weeks weekly, and then we're going to go to uh, monthly, and then after that, I'm going to do another podcast in the feed called 100% Pod.
1: Nice. Volume 1. That's exciting, dude.
2: And you've also got uh, a
1: stand-up show on sale at the moment for Melbourne Comedy Festival.
2: Yeah, I'm doing two weeks. The show's called Modern Contemporary. I was meant to do it in 2019, but it all got cancelled. No, 2020. Hmm. And then, uh, so I've done it a couple of times, but now this will be a full season. um, 12 shows at The Western. So go
0: to au for the tickets. One of my favourite websites, brother. Hang out on it once a week. (laughs) That's exciting. (laughs) Um,
1: I also have Melbourne Comedy Festival tickets on sale now. The show's called Electric Dreams. And uh, it's about me trying and failing to be a famous musician in high school. And I'm going to sing all the songs I wrote when I was a teenager. It's going to be humiliating. Um, those tickets will be. Uh, you can. Look, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put it in the S- show notes.
2: Similar themes, Cam, because mine's all about when I was a teenage dancer.
1: Oh, oh my oh. god! We should have done a joint show.
2: Ma- maybe there's still time. Maybe yeah. the last night. Yeah. I'll come out and dance for you, or you can come on my show and play the that's songs. That's actually. That's, that's
0: cool. actually a cool idea. That- that's and good. you can buy the tickets at joshell.com. <laughs> yeah, well yeah, show yeah. yeah.
1: I was the I'll only it was the only go.
0: deal I could get was uh, through Josh's <laughs> website. <laughs> Just jumping in here to say that I've got a brand new podcast starting next Tuesday, Jen Fricker and I are making a brand new podcast for Netflix, Australia and New Zealand. It is called Lived It. I'm really excited about it. I've been having so much freaking fun making this show. Uh, it's a kind of new concept where we found a new way to talk about all of the TV shows and movies that are coming out on Netflix that people are obsessing over, uh, where we go out and find stories from real life people, interesting guests, some celebrities and stuff, Uh, that relate in some way to the TV shows that we're talking about, movies that we're talking about. Um, It's real fun. The first episode's got an awesome story uh, from one of the band members of Confidence Man, a great Aussie pop band. And uh, it's such a fun story. So it's a really cool yarn podcast. Check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for talking about Memento. Uh, next time on the podcast, Cameron and I will be continuing with kind of an interesting double bill as far as neo noirs go in this mini series. We are looking at David Lynch's Mole Holland Drive.
1: Mm, yeah, I'm nervous about rewatching that. I haven't. Haven't watched it in about 10 years, I reckon.
0: Maybe it is the time that we finally decode the greatest mystery of all time. I doubt it, but we'll give it a red-hot go. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, guys. If you want to hear more from Cam and I, you can head over to patreon.com slash totalreboot and sign up for just 5 bucks a month, get access to bonus episodes and all of that shit. And then, until next time, please, 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 please purchase movies on DVD to make sure they don't disappear from online streaming services, much like Memento was very difficult to track down this time. (laughs)